Welcome to Kuhau Podcast. We thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know that you are a part of a new loving family. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope that this message encourages you and transforms your life. Now stay tuned for today's message. Come on, can we give God a praise in this place wherever you are tuning in from? Man, I want to encourage you to right now put your prayer hands together, put some fire emojis, be a active participator, an active listener as we hear God's word for us today. My name is Pastor Ro, and if you're tuning in, possibly for the first time, maybe you saw this link or maybe you saw us go live on your feed. I want to say it is absolutely my privilege to share this word with you. And our church is called Christ Uncensored. And we like to say where love is our logo. And what does that mean? It means that you can feel right at home in the love of Christ. I want to share this word with us. And uh, last week we, we spoke about who are we. And today what I want to share with our church community is found in the same passage of scripture. It's in Matthew chapter 18, verse 19 through 20. And I think that this is going to be a brief message. And I'm going to read these two verses of scripture. Last week, we spoke about who are we? Are we going to be the kind of church that is a crowd, simply a group of people that are just in the same place, in the same space together, but not necessarily there for each other? Are we going to be the kind of church that's a corporation? That we are, we're there together. We're a clique. We're a gang. We're a, a group of people, we're, but we're looking out to point the wrongdoings and the faults of others. Or are we going to be a community where your pain reaches my heart, where what concerns you concerns me? What kind of community will we be? And we agreed that God has called our church community to be a community. And today I want to talk to you about what does it look like when that church community goes to God? And it's found in Matthew chapter 18, and I'm going to really share these three words with our church. It's verse 19. It says, again, I give you an eternal truth. This truth is not subjective to our research. This truth is not subjective to our ideologies. This is an eternal truth. If two of you agree to ask God for something in a symphony of prayer, I love that phrase, a symphony of prayer. My heavenly father will do it for you. For wherever two or three come together in honor of my name, I am right there with them. The title to today's message is simply that, a symphony of prayer. Uh, can you put that in the comment section? A symphony of prayer prayer. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that in these next few moments, oh God, that you're going to speak to our hearts. And so, Lord, we, wanna, we don't want to just come here, God, step in and step out. We want to be so open to what you have to share with us. I believe, oh God, even though, God, I am only human, God, you are speaking through my life, oh God. And so use me in spite of me to speak to the life of our church and those that are tuning in for the first time. We love you, Lord, because you first loved us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. I think most of us would agree that most people like themselves a good secret. 
and, and you know you <laughs> you know you like yourself a good secret when um, when you get goosebumps when someone says the phrase. Did you hear about? You know what I mean? Like, you know, you get goosebumps, you get all tingly when someone says, hey, did you hear about? And then they pull back, they be like, no, nah, forget it. Maybe I shouldn't say anything. And you're like, no, now you got to tell me. You can't just do that to me. Don't you hate when people do that? Like, oh, did you hear about Cleopatra? And, and I don't know why, but it always ends this way. Like, hey, did you hear about, you know, Cleopatra? Because she, you know, she pregnant. And by the way, I don't know why it is. <laughs> Every time somebody tells me somebody's pregnant, it's always a secret. And in my mind, I'm saying to myself, you know, that secret has an expiration date. Because sooner or later, sooner or later, that secret is going to be exposed. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. But we all like a news, a good secret. And I think that you know you like a good secret when at any given opportunity, when the opportunity presents itself, you will give yourself to eavesdrop. And by the way, I just realized at 37 years of age that it is eavesdrop, not eavesdrop. All my life I've been saying. I've been saying eavesdrop. If you if you just learned something on this Sunday afternoon or morning or whatever time you're watching, if you just learned something, can you just put eavesdrop, E-A-V-E-S, eavesdrop, all right? It's, you just learned something new. But at any given opportunity, we have this lenient, we lean over and we listen. And like, you know you are, you're a good eavesdropper when you could literally, like I've literally seen this. You're having a conversation with me. But you're so good at eavesdropping that you can be having a conversation simultaneously, listening to what's happening four tables down, even though they are whispering. And I know that you're listening to them while you're speaking to me because I see your eyebrow, your ears perk up. They go that direction like antennas. Your eyebrow goes like this, like this, like this. That's what happens. You are eavesdropping. That's some skill right there. And... um. And I also think that you could appreciate a good secret because you know when you get pocket dialed, you know, when you get pocket dialed and you pick up the phone, what should you do? You should hit the end button. You should hit the close button. But what do you do? You put yourself on mute and you listen in on what's going on. Like I've literally grabbed my phone out of my pocket. and I'm like, why does it say I've been on a conversation with Lisa for 14 minutes? I grabbed the phone. I'm like. Hello? Oh, hey, baby. What you doing? Oh, I was just listening to you breathe. Uh-huh. Somebody shout, eavesdrop. <laughs> the reason I bring this idea up is because I would love, I would love the opportunity to eavesdrop on the thoughts of God. I would love to be a fly on the wall listening in on God's conversations. Like I would love to eavesdrop. I would, let me say it this way. I love to eavesdrop on a conversation between Jesus and his dad. I would love to listen in on what, it, what would Jesus, like what did Jesus talk to God about when it came to Judas? Like what was his conversations about Judas about, right? What was his conversations about Peter? Like, oh, dad, I can't. Let me just tell you something about what my man Peter did the other night. Like I would love, because here's the truth. Like the conversations between Jesus and his father have to be amazing. So many times you hear in the Bible, like Jesus retreated and prayed. So many times in the Bible we hear like, oh, Jesus 
woke up early in the morning and prayed, but so many times we don't know what it is that he was praying. Now in his public ministry, we see it over and over, man, he would speak, he would pray, and all of a sudden, like, there was no pleading, there was no begging, there was no, God, plead, there was none of that. He would speak in his public ministry, and people would be healed. The mo Boom, he would speak, and it would happen, yet... This verse in Matthew chapter 18 tells us that we can do the same thing. It says when two or three are gathered in a symphony of prayer, we can go to God and ask him for anything and it will be done. So it made me think. Maybe the reason that when we pray, things don't manifest. Could it be is because we're not going to God in a symphony of prayer. That we're not in symphony. We're not in agreement. We're not in harmony. And can it just be that maybe the reason that we're not in harmony, the reason that we're not in symphony, can it be because it's possibly that the church doesn't pray like Jesus? Like what if the church literally began to pray like Jesus? What if the church actually spoke to the Father like Jesus spoke to the Father? Like, what would it look like if we began to speak to God in a symphony of prayer? In a symphony of prayer. Well, Pastor Rowe, then, how will we know what Jesus' prayer life looked like if we don't have any evidence of what he was talking to his father about? Except that I began to do a little research, and I found there was six times where the Gospels record almost as a transcript with a conversation that Jesus was having with his father. And I think these six occasions kind of reveal to us what a symphony of prayer looked like. See, when Jesus spoke in ministry, as we said, that what he spoke would happen. And I think that many times as we're looking at our prayer life and like, hey, nothing ain't happened. I've been praying, but, but what if it's because we're not in agreement. We're not in harmony. What would it look like if the church of God that we've defined last week as a community would go to God in a symphony of prayer? And the first passage I would like to unpack for us is found in Matthew chapter 11, verse 25 through 30. And it says, then Jesus exclaimed, Father, Thank you, for you are Lord, the supreme ruler over heaven and earth, and you have hidden the great revelation of your authority from those who are proud and wise in their own eyes. Instead, you have shared it with those who humble themselves. Yes, Father, your plan delights your heart. As if you've chosen this way to extend, hear this, as you've chosen this way to extend your kingdom by giving it to those, watch this, that have become the trusting children. I want you to write this down. A symphony of prayer includes, here's the first point, a childlike trust in the Father. A symphony of prayer includes a childlike trust 
in the Father. I think in our first passage of scripture, what we see is that Jesus's prayers revealed to us that he had this intimate relationship, this childlike trust with his dad. Like he says, I'm giving the kingdom, I'm giving whatever they ask for to those that trust me like a child, that have this unwavering belief in their daddy. Like if my daddy told me when I was two years old that blue was actually red, I would have believed him the whole time because I had this childlike trust with my dad. And Jesus is saying that the father is willing to give the kingdom to those that believe God over the things they see in this world. Can I speak to our our situation right now? Can I speak to our social climate right now? Uh, um, uh, I I had a a lunch with a friend of mine. He took me out to lunch this week and we picked something up and we drove back to the house and he had so many questions and I asked permission to share this story. And when when I did, he told me so many people feel like this. Of course, I want you to share this story. And he had so many concerns with what was happening in our society. And one of his major concerns was, well, what's, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm nervous. Like, Pastor Roe, like, who do we vote for? If I feel like I I vote for this party, I feel like, uh, I, um, I feel like, this party might support God, but our country might be in another place. I, I, I support this party. My country might be better, but then it feels like uh, the churches might be closed and the church might like what's going to happen to the church. I feel like depending on who I vote for and, and, and his concerns, like I don't really trust our government. And and what do we do with our government? Should we so we just now rebel like. And I want to tell you. My message to him is my message to you that I have more faith in the God we serve than in the circumstances we see. Here's why. Because Jesus told his disciples, and I need you to catch this. Jesus told his disciples, and maybe you're listening to this and you have the same concerns and fears. But Jesus told his, his disciples this. He says, I will build. Somebody needs to catch this. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. My Lord, what does that mean? That I have more faith. I have a childlike trust in the God that I serve than in the gates of hell that I see. And so many times we're looking to, to, we're magnifying the message of the gates of hell. Look what's happening around me. Look what's happening all around me. The government is doing this. This group of people are doing this. Republicans are doing this. Democrats are doing this. What's going to happen to the church? Can I tell you something, church of God? We don't have nothing to worry about because the gates of hell, my God, I feel like preaching rule. I said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Yeah, the gates of hell are there, but I have more faith. I have a childlike trust in the Christ who is building his church and has promised and assured us and has guaranteed us that the gates of hell will not prevail. If we're not careful, we will put more trust in the bad things we see than in the God that we serve. 
And in the second passage of scripture, it's the same point. It's a, it's a childlike trust. And this is found in John chapter 11, verse 41. It says, so they rolled the stone aside. This is speaking of the life of Lazarus as he dies of sickness. And this is one of Jesus's best friends. Many scholars believe that this is Jesus' childhood friend. He dies and Jesus comes to perform a miracle. Many of you are familiar with this passage and this story. But then it says, then Jesus looked up to heaven. He calls for the stone to be rolled away and he's about to call Lazarus to come forth. And he says, then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. Listen to that relationship. Listen to that intimacy. Listen to that childlike trust. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. See, Jesus had a childlike faith. He says, thank you, daddy. <laughs> thank you that you listen to me and you always listen to me and you always hear me. I will never doubt that you hear me. See. He's saying that so other people can hear that God hears our prayers. And so many times, like even in these conditions, we're like, well, we have to fend for self. We have to get ready. We have to be prepared. And we start thinking that the God that we serve is not listening to our prayers. And so if, if God's not listening to my prayers, then I'm going to take action in my own hands. But Jesus wanted to assure the people around him that God is listening to his prayers so that they can see that he is the one that has been sent from the Father. See, everything around Jesus, they were in a funeral, they were in a burial. Everybody was mourning, everybody was crying, but even in the midst of what he was seeing, he had more trust in the Father whom he was serving. Somebody needs to write that down. That we must place our trust in the God that we serve and not in the circumstances that we see because the gates of hell will not prevail against the church here's the second point I want us to I want us to write down is a symphony of prayer includes the priority of the father's will a symphony of prayer includes the priority of the Father's will. And now in this moment, it's found in Luke chapter 22. And Jesus is, is headed to the cross. And at this moment, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in verse 42 of the chapter 22 in Luke, it says, Saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours be done. Like I, I, want you to, I want you to notice something. It's almost as if in this moment, Jesus and God, the Father, had distinct wills. It's such a vulnerable moment that we see in the life of Jesus. It's this moment of intimacy between the Father and the Son, and and you see as if there's these two separate wills. It's like 
Dad, I know what the purpose is, but if somehow you can accommodate my preference, I would appreciate it. See, here's the truth. I don't think that there's anybody that is saying, God, I don't want your will to be done in my life. <laughs> like, I don't know any Jesus follower, any child of God that is saying, Lord, let your will not be done in my life. You're not going to see it. Most of us are not going to say that. We're not saying, God, I don't want your will to be done. If you were to ask any Jesus follower, do you want God's will for your life? They're going to say, yes. Here's the thing, though. It's not that we don't want God's will not to be done in our life, or it's not that we don't want his will in our life. The truth is, is that we simply prioritize ours over his. That, that is the truth. It's not that we don't want his will, it's that somehow we want his will to fit in with our preference. <laughs> See, the problem isn't that we don't want God's will. The problem is that we often prioritize ours over his. Another way to say is that we prioritize our agenda over his. We prioritize our preferences over his purpose. And, 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 and this is human nature. I want to be honest with you. This is, this is um, human nature at his best. We, we, we want God's will as long as we can subject it to our agenda. I'll give you an example. I spoke about my goddaughter last week at Mariah, and she slept, she slept over uh, the house with JJ and Mariah Miranda, and they slept over the house. And an hour before everybody goes to sleep, everybody goes to sleep, and an hour right before I say, we have kind of a rule where no electronics. If you're going to be up, there's no electronics an, an hour before everybody goes to bed. No cell phones, no headphones, no tablets, no electronics, except like TVs that we can watch together as a family. We can play cards, we can play games. That's what you, those are your options an hour before we go to bed. So it's so interesting because we're all laying there watching TV, me, Selah, and Amariah Elaine in the living room. And we're watching a show. Bishop and JJ are in the other room and they're watching another show and they're chilling and we're chilling. And Amariah, in the middle of our show, 30 minutes into it, gets up and she says, I'm going to go over there. And I say, why are you going over there? And she goes, because I want to make sure that they're not on their phones. And I say, well, that's none of your concern, sweetheart. And I just think that that's so telling of the human condition. Why? She found something that fit her own personality that she can get behind. She, she finds something that she can, she can, oh, I can get behind this. I, I know, I know it was the will of Nino. It was the will of Rolando that, that people wouldn't be on their cell phones, that the children wouldn't be on their cell phones. But I want to go over there and ensure that that's not happening. Not because she had the heart of it, but because she wanted to execute her own personal preference. <laughs> that is us. <laughs> We are this. This is what we are. We become this. This, this is a classic case of fallen human nature. It, it's, like, it's like we want to take God's will and subject it to our own preference. 
We want to, we, we're looking for something. We're looking for something to fall in line with our own preferences. We're looking for something to fall in line with our own personalities. We're looking for something. So, so then we start doing things like this. Like if we're naturally judgmental, we start saying, okay, we start judging people in the name of love. Oh, if we're critical, then what starts happening? We start criticizing in the name of love. And if we're not careful, we end up becoming the, the abuser, the abusive parent who says, I, I, I know I beat you and I know you were bleeding, but I did it because I love you. See, we, we grab God's will and we try to subject it to our own preference, to our own agenda to our own personality and we start doing things it's like yeah I'm doing it and we start condemning people in the name of truth we start looking at other people in, and then we call it something else why? because it's not that we don't want God's will we just want God's will to take second place over our agenda but what happens when God's when God's will disagrees with your ways like what happens when God's plan disagrees with your preferences? What happens when God's purpose disagrees with your own personal persuasions? What happens when God's ideas disagrees with your indoctrinations? What happens when God's, when God's word disagrees with your opinion? Are we able to look like Jesus? in those moments where there is this confliction of wills and say, God, this is what I want to do right now. This is what I want to say right now. This is how I want to, this is where I want to go right now. These are the plans that I had. This is the agenda that I have. This is the personality that I have, but not my will. Your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done not my will not my agenda not my plans not not my preferences but whatever you want for my life see I, I wonder if we would approach God in a symphony of prayer where we would have this childlike trust with the father and that we when we would go to God as a church community that we would prioritize prioritize his will over ours his plan over our preference his purpose over our own agenda the last point i want to give you guys today is is found in one of the longest prayers that we have of jesus uh, this is almost like a transcribed prayer of jesus and this is found in john chapter 17 I would encourage you to read the entire chapter of John chapter 17 because it's, it's, it's Jesus speaking to his dad in one of the most intimate prayers you would ever hear from Jesus. And I want to read to us six verses because in these six verses, I think it encapsulates the entire chapter that we read. We're going to begin reading in verse 20, and it says, And I ask not only for these disciples, but I also ask for those 
who will one day believe in me through their message. That's me and you. That's you and I. Jesus in this moment is praying for you. He says, I'm not just praying for the disciples that are in front of me in this present day. I'm praying for the ones that will one day believe in me because of their message passing along through the years and the centuries and the generations. He's speaking about me. As I pray for them all to be joined together. Watch this. As one. Even. How as one? So that we can be united? No. As you and I are one. Father. As you and I, Father, are joined together as one. I pray for them to become one with us. So that the world will recognize you sent me. So my prayer is that they will be so united. So in agreement, they would have such a harmony and such a symphony that that the world will recognize that I am the one. Verse 22, for the very glory that you have given me, this is Jesus, the very glory that you have given me, I have given them so they will be joined together as one and experience the same unity that we enjoy. You live fully in me, and now I live fully in them. So that they will experience, here's why God lives fully in you. You need to catch this. Please catch this. You live fully in me, and I live fully in them. So that they can experience perfect unity and the world will be convinced that you sent me for they will see that you love each one of them with the same passionate love that you love me my last point as i close is a symphony of prayer includes unity of all the father's children a symphony of prayer includes a childlike trust with the Father. It includes this childlike trust with the Father. It, it, it also includes the priority of the Father's will. And it includes a unity of all the Father's children. When I pray, I'm, I'm praying with a childlike trust. I'm praying by, by prioritizing the will of God. But I'm also praying as Jesus used his last words before going up on the cross. He uses his last prayer that we have recorded to pray for what? I would have prayed for so many other things. Jesus says, listen, the last thing I want to leave us with as I pray is a prayer of unity. And here's why, because unity is so important. You don't understand. You don't understand how important unity is. We speak about unity as if it's this cute little concept or this cute idea that if by chance and somehow we can maybe be united but you don't understand how valuable Jesus saw unity that Jesus is saying God that they can be united not just united but they can be so united 
that it looks like the way you and I are united. And I'm saying to myself, man, like, I, how, how close, how united are we? How, you, how united are we? Because I, I'm, I'm saying sometimes, like, I'm glad there's social distancing because there's some people I don't want to be six feet close to. Like, God, how can I, how can I be united with her? way you are united with with your father like I don't, I don't even want to be close to them and I, yet I gotta be I'm, I'm supposed to be united with them the way the father and the son are united like I'm having a hard time being in the same same space as that person like I, I don't even want to breathe the same air they're breathing I, what do you mean be united and he sets the standard He says, but here's why. I've given you my glory. I've given you my my glory. The Father lives in me, and now I live in them so that you could be united. If you're looking for unity in your own strength, it's never going to happen. And there's something within the fallen human nature that is seeking division. I want to be honest with you as a church, Christ Uncensored, as your pastor. There's always something, and I want to prove it to you. There's something within our fallen human nature. This this flesh that we wrestle with. The Bible says that our, our war is not with flesh and bone. but It's with principalities. There is something within us that is seeking division. That even within the context of unity, there's always this this internal struggle with division. I, like I, I'll prove it to you. Like like you're you're a New Yorker. Yo, we from New York, baby. New York. Until you're from Brooklyn and you're from the Bronx. Prove it to you. Oh, we from New York. But even within New York, there's division. Oh, I'm from Brooklyn. And you from the Bronx. I'll prove it to you right now. We from New York until you meet a Yankees fan and a Mets fan. I one time told somebody said, what's your favorite baseball team? I said, the Mets and the Yankees. They said, that's impossible. They are arch enemies. You cannot. So even within unity, New York, there's always this human desire for, for this. Watch this. Watch this. For us versus them. Us versus them there's always this internal and that's what we see churches all over the world it's it's even within the church there's always somebody trying to create this narrative of us versus them the left and the right the correct and the wrong can i can i can i give you some advice be careful of preaching Be careful of propaganda that always uses the language of us versus them. I look look after us. This is us. But them over there? Be careful with that preaching because it creates division even within unity. Oh yeah, we're united. Oh, we're all brought. But this is us and that is them. 
this is who we are, but that's who they like. Those are the bad guys. We are the good guys. And there's something within the makeup of the fallen human nature that is even within the unity. This is how we get religion. Oh, we all love God, but then we have Pentecostals, we have the Baptists, we have the Methodists. Oh, we're all one body, but we have division, which is now called religion. But that's not what Jesus is looking to establish. He's not looking to establish religion. He's looking to establish relationship. And that's why he says, I've given you my glory. I've given you my love. For what? What is the purpose, God, that you have given me this glory? He's giving you. God's glory is not to divide people. God's glory is not to create cliques. God's glory is not to create sectors. God's glory in our lives is to create and bring forth unity. It's to bring forth a symphony of prayer. What if our prayers and going to God would look like a symphony and a harmony that the more people join in, that we're not looking to exclude people, that we're not creating the narrative of us versus them, but we're saying, hey, listen, you can belong before you believe. You can belong before you behave. God has given us his glory. Yes, we have the glory of God. What's the purpose? It's not to condemn people. It's not to outcast people. It's not to create the narrative of us versus them. We're better there not we're right they're wrong it's to say hey we can all be united we can all God has given us the glory why so that look what it says verse verse 23 so so that we can experience perfect unity and the world will be convinced that you sent me and you're still having a hard time we're still having a hard time getting along with somebody in the same church, in the same community, in the same circle. I'm still having a hard time. I still have issues with unity. I have problems. And God is saying that I've given you my glory so that you could be united. My glory is not so that you can look super spiritual. My glory is so that you can be more united with your brother and sister. Start using your glory, the glory that God has given you, the glory that Jesus said that he received from the Father, he's given to you, that glory, start using it more often to unite yourself with people, to be at harmony with one another, to be in rhythm with each other. That's why God has given us his glory. In this passage of scripture, it, it ends with, it says, the Father, I ask you to allow everyone that you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they will see my glory full. The very splendor you have placed upon me because you have loved me even before the beginning of time. Watch this. You are my righteous father. But the unbelieving world has never known you in the perfect way that I know you. So many people use that scripture to create the us versus them. Look, he's separating the world. No, he's not. He's saying like the world is separated. Let's unite them. <laughs> it says you are my righteous father but the unbelieving world has never known you in the perfect way that i know you and all those who believe in me and also 
know that you have sent me. I have revealed to them who you are and will continue to make you even more real to them so that they may experience the same endless love that you have for me for your love will now live in them even as I live in them. He says that the unbelieving world doesn't know the kind of relationship the son and the father have, but when they see the evidence of his love living in us, they will look at Jesus and they will now be united with his bride, with his children. And it says, so that they can experience the same endless love that you have for me. For your love will now live in them even as I live in them. Does Christ live in you? Because if Christ lives in you, it also means that his love, the love of the Father, lives in you. And so if we're not able to love, there is a piece of ourselves that is not surrendered to the love of the Father. The Holy Spirit asked me this question. He said, as I was preparing this mission, is, is hey, what is... What, what, what's the feeling people get when they're around you? Why? Because it says, so that they may experience the same endless love that you have for me. When people get around me are, do they experience, do they get the sense, do they get the feeling that God's love dwells in me and is overflowing in them? That's what the Holy Spirit asked me. When people come around you, do, do they feel more judged than they do embraced? When people read your post, do they feel more judged than they do embraced? The way we look at people, the way we look at people, do they feel more judged than they feel embraced? Do they feel like they've experienced God's love a little bit more intimately because they were around you? Or do they feel like, like, how can I ever come? Like, how do I, how does my life make other people feel? I want my life to be the kind of life that says to people that they can be united. Because sometimes the message that we send without even realizing is, you don't belong here. Us versus them. Jesus is saying, but I've given you my glory so that that wouldn't happen. He says, I will continue to make myself more real to them. And I want to tell you, my job as a believer is to demonstrate that God's love is real. Because I look like Jesus. Because I will act like Jesus. Because I will love like Jesus. Because I will pray like Jesus. So that those that feel far from God end up following him. Let me tell you, there's so many people that feel far from God. So many people. They feel so far from God and they feel like they can never be united with his body or be part of his family because they feel so far. And we're sending this message that people are far from God as if it's relevant because God is a uniting God and he he sees unity so important that he unites himself with humanity. He unites himself with humanity. 671 million miles 
per hour is the speed of light. And we're questioning how far we are from God. When faster than the speed of light, God is by our side no matter how far we think you, you are, no matter how far we think you are. God says, I am the light of the world. And I, I, I move faster than the speed of light. You think distance is an issue? He's a uniting God. He's a God that says, my will is that none will perish. He goes, this is my will, that none will perish. And this needs to be the will of his church. Maybe you feel far from God today and I want to pray for you, pray for you. Maybe you feel like you're alone. Maybe you feel like the church traditionally has made you feel like this, us versus them. I want to pray for you today. But I also want to pray for our church family that possibly feels like, man, I, I think I've been going to God in prayer with the wrong heart. Maybe some of our prayers are not answered because if they'd be answered, we'd be destroyed. But if we would approach God in a symphony of prayer, we would go to him with a childlike trust, with the prioritizing of his will, and with the unity of his children in mind. Man, I think that we would see our prayers being answered, that whatever we ask in the Father's name that is prioritizing his will, that has this childlike trust, that has other people in mind, I think we'll start seeing ooh, our prayers being answered and manifested in our life. I want to pray for you. So I want to pray for you that your desire is to place your faith in Jesus. And I want to pray for you who wants to reconsider how we approach God now. Or maybe you also know God and you want to rededicate or reestablish that relationship with him. He's speaking to you now. If that's you, would you lift up your hand? Can I pray for you? That's all I want you to lift up your hand for so that I can pray for you. Now, this is not a commitment to a church. This is not a commitment to a set of rules. This is just you saying, hey, can you pray for me? I want to pray for you. And I believe that when I pray for you, God will speak to you and God does the work. The Holy Spirit will do the work. Lift up your hands. One, two, three. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. You can put it in the comment section if you want to let everybody know. Just put a hand that is lifted right there. Can you bow your heads for a moment? For those that want to place your faith in Jesus, I want you to just repeat this prayer with me. Say, Dear Jesus, I give you my life and I receive your free gift of salvation. I receive the forgiveness of sins and I thank you for dying for me on the cross and resurrecting on the third day. From this day forth, I'm a new creation in Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, I want to take this moment right now to pray for every person that just said that prayer, Lord. And I also want to pray for those that, that you're stirring up their hearts, oh God. Those, those people that are saying, not my will, but your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. God, right now, Lord, would your love become more real in their life than ever before, God. That their hearts may begin to transform, that their hearts may begin to turn towards you, that they may see you and believe your promises with a childlike faith, that they may prioritize your will, that they may have their hearts lean towards people 
and uniting them instead of dividing them. In Jesus' name, God. We thank you, Lord, that you transformed the heart of man. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Our mission here at Christ Uncensored House of Worship is to love God, love people, and love life. Kuhau is a place where our story is still being written. Together, we can do more than we can ever do alone. If this message has encouraged you and you wish to partner with us in taking this message all across the world, go to kuhau.com slash give or follow us on any social media platform. Thank you in advance for your support and generosity. Come and begin a whole new journey with us.